present to you the brand new Bullet Club member. Hmm? Oh. I present to you the brand new next IWGP Junior Heavyweight Champion. Osaka, I present to you the cleaner, Kenny Omega! Oh. Kenny Omega! Kenny Omega ga Masaka no Barrett Club Iri! Midori ga niyate ta no ni ne! Nan to yu koto da! Shin Nihon ni iseki o hatashita! Kenny Omega ga Masaka no Barrett Club Iri da! Barrett Club ran jai masa ka Omega! ドスグロクナッタ。いや、おめえが。ケニーオメガ。ケニーオメガが。チャンピオンの目の前に立ちます。I you fools! I don't want your stupid lion mark. The only thing I want is your money. <laughs> Club, a podcast from Fight to Feud and back again. My name is Charlie and I use they them pronouns. And I'm Mikey and I use he him pronouns. And I said I wasn't going to count the number of this episode, so I'm not going to. So welcome. <laughs> welcome everyone. It's been a little bit of a slight delay. Um, that's just because time and the months just kind of blend into each other now. Um, we don't actually have new months. It's uh, probably like March 187th i guess <laughs> yeah i guess so also this I, is this is a big one we were originally only gonna do one episode i don't know how we thought we could fit this whole feud into one episode but we did it first um we have since seen the air of our ways uh <laughs> aka earlier today when we were recording this and i was like we should break this into three episodes it's okay. I I felt confident in our ability to summarize this, but then when I started the long journey on NJPW World, I decided at that point when my soul was out of my body that we weren't going to be able to cover this in one episode. It's also it's literally a feud that the actual feud spans two and a half years, mm-hmm. or like at least two years. Um, I'm not like it's hard to tell like when exactly it starts necessarily, but um, in like calendar time, but it also there's a lot of background that needs to go into it 
for it to really truly matter because there's other storylines that kind of weave into it yes so, so it's, if, it's if, a big th- one this is our first and this is our first non wwe feud so Correct. it it it's gonna take it takes a little bit of getting used to uh how uh, new japan does everything so it yeah, everything is much longer and yeah bouncing in around the j- japanese and, storytelling and, style and, and really figuring out like where everything stops and starts uh luckily we were both kind of uh familiar with it to some extent so that helped but uh because we didn't mention it earlier uh this is <laughs> this episode is about kenny omega and okada um from starting from the year 2017 yeah um well yes. let's if we're gonna if we're gonna uh say Kenny Omega, um, then we sh- should also say uh Kazuchika Okada. Yes. I'm so I, I do apologize. I like Okada Okada has a cool name. Kazuchika is a very cool name, so we should say it more often. <laughs> it's just not going to be like uh first name. I'll say we'll say Kenny, but then obviously we'll use Okada's last name because that is how they know him in Japan. Um, that's just the way it's going to be. Um, but in any case, this is going to be a big one. Um, we're separating this into three distinct parts. Um, one in this episode, you'll hear much about the background and the um, story elements that lead us to the first match that these two have. Um, like ever, se- ever, yeah. In the second episode, you will hear in all the in between parts, and that covers. Uh, two other matches um, that happen, and between then, them, yes, yes, they know that they know they're not. They're like, yes, I'm, I'm plugged into what you're saying. I mean, and we're going to talk about other matches, just yeah, yeah. only two matches that they directly face against each other in. And then the last part will be us talking about the conclusion of all of this, uh, which is quite the thing. Much happens in a. Uh, basically what is a three-year span of time, um, two and a half probably, really. Uh, and where we start isn't where we end. And I think that's uh, that's how your story should go. <laughs> yeah, this is like, say. if you want to talk, like, this truly is kind of like a trilogy. Uh, there's not really any other way to describe it. Like, you could maybe break it down into more subsequent parts, but it's definitely a saga, I think, by any measure. Absolutely. It's and absolutely I kind of, a story. Like, I it, kind it's of absolutely like an arc. that about, like, Japanese wrestling and the style of storytelling that NJPW especially employs. Like, I like that there is some of this history and these long-standing things baked into it. Mm-hmm. Like, I like breaking down all those elements and seeing, like, where things come from and where they're going to go. I like that there is a consistency to what I would technically call a season of wrestling in NJPW. It's really... Like the same stuff happens every year, um, but we're on a like yeah. we're kind of like we're on a cycle, and obviously the same stuff happens usually every year, um, in regards to pay per views and things like that, like in American wrestling. But I think the consistency of like what those tournaments mean and how important that 
stuff is. So we'll go into more depth into it later. But the G1 is always like a um, tournament style that takes place over several months and stuff like that. And like, um, you know, you're always going to have the IWGP champion be crowned at like this thing. And so like you always know what kind of matches are being booked overall. Mm -hmm. Like, some of the nitty-gritty might change, but overall, like, you know what to expect. Yeah. And uh, that's... It's it's different. It's absolutely different. It's not as... It's not as sports entertainment focused. I would say it's hardly hardly at all sports entertainment focused. Um, but I but like it's, really... It's much more serious. Like, yeah. It's, it's, it's de- taken a lot more seriously in Japan. Wrestling's a lot about, like, there's a lot of of things in regards to honor and 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 just you know trappings like that that are involved with japanese wrestling that aren't aren't things that happen over here yeah so let's let's start maybe by talking like specifically because there are other promotions in japan that don't do that style of wrestling now but so njpw new japan pro wrestling the king of sports um is kind of in terms of impact i would say equivalent to wwe in the united states would you say Mm -hmm. that's accurate charlie that's accurate yep yeah so it is it is the big man on campus it is like the big commercial draw it's um it's partnered with like a big TV network in Japan. Um, it sells out the big arenas, um, you know, so on and so forth. And it has very much a focus on, like we said, on like wrestling as like a sport, on kayfabe, the the ven- you know the veneer of like wrestling fiction being reality. So, like for instance. If you're a heel, if you're a bad guy, you're a bad guy. You have a different, like, the heels and the faces have different locker rooms in NJPW. They don't, they aren't seen together, like, at press events. Um, They're always kept separate, and if, like, they come together, it's uh, meant to be a big thing, but that, like, rarely ever happens, because they don't really do, like, backstage segments like we're used to. Um, the majority of like the storytelling is either through the matches themselves, through interviews. Um, the winner at the end of an event will get to give a promo, and um, then there's post-event press conferences, and that's where the story's told. Mm-hmm. So there's not like all these little bits and pieces that you need to follow, really. And uh, I would say a lot of the majority of of the stories. Like it's one, it's kind of one consistent thing. So like this, like the story, you always kind of know what the story of the match is, and the story of the match all, all like is very much always evident in the wrestling. Like there's almost never wrestling, especially on like the big events, that doesn't have some sort of story going into it. So you don't have a lot of throwaway stuff, um, to kind of go through, like. There's a lot of house shows and things like that, but I would say the collective of those actually enhances what's going on. Yeah, so. it's like, it's it's still, like, it's not necessarily moving the story forward, but it's like, 
the in-between issues of a miniseries, if you will, to kind of, like, like, you could only read, like, uh, so, like, you know, I'm gonna equate it to, like, a comic book event, you know? Like, they'll have the main issues, like, the main story of the comic book event, and then sometimes there'll be, like, a secondary B-plot that's kind of supplemented through, like, it's, like, uh, like, you had, um with like i don't know secret wars like you have the main secret wars and then there was like secret wars stories or something like that that was kind of pulling in some of those other characters but wasn't entirely its own thing either and mm -hmm. so like you could just read the main secret wars event but if you wanted to know like what some of the motivations for some of those characters were you could go and read like the the, the secondary book and I kind of find the house shows are like that. Like, they're not pushing anything forward necessarily, but they're giving you more of the thing you're already getting. Yeah. It's it's interesting in in how how it is is different. It feels very it feels very different to me. Um and, and everything in presentation, in the way the stories are structured, in just how things feel um when you're watching something that's specifically new japan pro wrestling um i picked up on that right away when things just feel like i always like to say that things hit different over there like you can see somebody that like wrestled in america and then came over and, and, and wrestles in japan and the company and it just feels different um well, so that's and that's kind of the thing too is there is a huge focus on training and um you know like japan has a very specific style of wrestling i'm gonna butcher this so i'm sorry in advance like pro wrestling it's like pure wrestling like fighting wrestling the fighting spirit and then like you have people taking that even further with strong style and before you're even put out in the ring a lot of times in japan you're brought up through like if you're njpw like talent like scouted at a young age you're brought up through their dojo system and then you're made into a young lion who are kind of like the helpers and trainees that you see like around the ring. And then once a young lion like matriculates, then they get sent overseas usually to another promotion that they have a partnership in to kind of train and like see what elements of like other wrestling styles that they want to bring in. And then once they kind of do that, like, journeyman phase, then they're brought back and, like, uh, kind of figure out their gimmick, and then they are brought up to the main roster. Yeah. Did I miss so, anything? You got it. So, yeah, it is It is uh, much different. It, it loosely resembles, like, performance center stuff, like, but only very loosely. Yeah. Um, and that's yeah. why, like, um, Dean Ambrose, who is now John Moxley, that we talk about sometimes, he wrestled in NJPW after leaving the WWE, and he, as a foreigner, actually went and um, trained in their dojo system to learn their style of wrestling because he wanted to, A, that contributes to the story because that's like, oh, I'm a foreigner, I'm a foreigner, but I want to learn all these different styles. Like, that gives you a good, meaty story. But B, it also helps you learn how you're going to be wrestling and how you should gauge um like your opponents like it's it's mm -hmm. it's helpful on both a fictional and a professional level i think yeah i agree 
I agree with that. Uh, so we've got we've got some foundation about what makes things a bit different here. So let's roll into what we came here to talk about. Just for um, just for clarity's sake, a lot of times wrestlers that are not from Japan will refer to themselves as either gaijin or foreigners. I think just for ease, so people, if people aren't familiar with the term, I think we can just stick to foreigner, if that's okay with you, Charlie. Just so we're that's not fine. like confusing people and swapping between the two. That's fine. I took uh, four years of advanced Japanese when I was in college. Um, uh, I, I'm just saying. So if I say words or things that, that maybe I need explanation, I'll 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 try to keep it at a minimum. So I will not I will not continue I'll keep to say gaijin. I'll, I'll no, I won't continue check. to say gaijin. It's fine. Um, but like I said, let's let's uh get to what we came here to talk about. So Mikey, this is a extremely loaded question. How would you describe Kenny Omega? Oh God. Um, if you've seen or are aware of in some way jojo's bizarre adventure i would describe him as the kind of villainous over-the-top extravagant uh villain sorry i'm gonna repeat myself the kind of extravagant over-the-top villain that araki like writes in jojo's bizarre adventure or like any villain from like a Final Fantasy series video game. Okay, that was that was more concise than I thought it might be, but I, I'll agree. I don't have a lot of familiarity with JoJo's, but I I've heard people make that comparison before. So yeah, I believe or like, it, I believe it is a valid one. Or like an extremely sinister and egotistical Disney villain. Yep. Yeah, like, that's it too. Hades, Hades is probably the easiest draw from Hercules. Yes, I, or like yeah. Radigan from The Great Mouse Detective. <laughs> you may, you may notice that I'm pulling extremely queer coded villains, and there is a reason for that. <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely, um, there is. Because it's also important that Kenny Omega, at least in kayfabe, is bisexual. He will not. It's important to note. He will not answer that question outside of kayfabe. Correct. But inside kayfabe, he has not answered the question, but everything he says is extremely like, if I dated a man or a woman, that kind of stuff. So And, and uh, well, dating a woman and dating a man are two totally different things. <laughs> Which is absolutely, not wrong, but also... <laughs> no, but it's absolutely something that he said. So for the... For just I'm putting it out here for the rest of this podcast episode and the ones after it. I will at some point refer to Kenny Omega as being bisexual. He will not answer that question um, because he protects he protects a lot of his his uh, personal things, which is absolutely absolutely something that you should do. Um, but Kenny, we don't know if Tyson Smith, the person behind the mask, is. Um, bisexual, but Kenny Omega definitely is. The, definitely is. The persona. Yes. And that's, uh, I think it's fair to, to kind of want to be more private, um, as a public figure. Like, and that's something that's pretty common, especially with Jap Japanese wrestlers. Mm -hmm. Um, 
Like, there's a lot of Japanese female wrestlers keep that shit extremely on lock, and you won't even know they're married or have a baby. It's just like, oh, I'm leaving for injury for 10 or 11 months. It's fine. <laughs> Don't worry about it. And yeah. I, I, I bring that up because it's like, I think knowing that he wrestled in Japan, like, you absolutely, that absolutely makes sense why he would keep that stuff more personal, because that's just like, what would be expected mm -hmm. of someone as a wrestler there. Um, yes. So, yeah. Yes. Okay. Well, we got through that hard portion of the test. Um, <laughs> <laughs> if that is what we're calling it, which, you know, I'll just refer to it like that. Um, okay. Well, we got through Kenny. Okay. Uh, Mikey, how would you describe uh, Kazuchika Okada? I would describe Okada as the rich kid with a chip on his shoulder and something to prove he it's not for the fact like obviously okada has done things at the start of this show obviously you know he went overseas he he was in tna like he's done all these things but i think at the start of this feud he's definitely someone that has been given the place is the heir apparent and may or may not deserve it, but definitely wants to feel like he deserves it and wants to show that he deserves it. So he has a lot to prove because like he's done a lot of stuff, but also, you know, Hiroshi Tanahashi has done as much, if not maybe more. So why isn't it Tana the, you know, the heir apparent? So... Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of big, good guys in NGPW at this point in time. Like, what makes Okada the one? You know, why does he have the booker behind him? Mm -hmm. And I think, like, that's kind of, as we start, like, what Okada has to prove. Yeah, I, especially, I would definitely agree with that. Especially with some of the big leaders of the faction that he's in, which we'll get to in a second, um, having left, like, and there being kind of this void to fill. Yes. So that will, uh, okay, we're, we've gone past the first two obstacles. Yeah, uh, we should probably, before we go further, though, we should probably talk about their, their AKAs and their gimmicks. <laughs> we probably should. Uh, Kenny's got several. Okada's got one. Um, but for the purpose Kenny's of- Kenny's all kind of meshed together, though. They do, but for this portion of time- Kenny Omega is known as the cleaner. Um, heard me talk about it before. I talk about it constantly anyway. I believe, and I'll get into this later, I believe that the cleaner is absolutely like a demonic entity. <laughs> <laughs> well, so um, some of the background on Kenny is he was in, he comes, he's Canadian, obviously. He's a white guy. He's not native to Japan. He learned Japanese through reading fighting manga. I think it's King of Fighters. And um, like one other one. I can't remember what it was. And that's how he learned Japanese. He had wrestled up and down the United States and Canada for a while. He even did some MMA. And he was scouted by the WWE and left. Um, on really bad terms because 
the WWE developmental territory at the time was really bad to its wrestlers. So he kind of thought that for because he thought when he went to go do this tryout that it would be for NJPW, actually. Um, so he thought he kind of thought his wrestling career was over. And then he saw a match that it won Kota Ibushi put on. He said, that is my wrestling soulmate and made a promo video to ask Ibushi to fight him. It did not, he didn't even send it to anyone. He put it up on YouTube and the booker for uh, DDT, forget what DDT stands for, but they saw it. Dramatic Dream Team. Pro there wrestling. you go. There we go. Um, so their booker saw it and was like, okay, we need to get this guy over here. And so that's how he started in Japanese, excuse me, in Japanese wrestling was actually he started as an indie. He started as a tag team. Um, well, first they wrestled each other and then like they had they they had this feud he and Kota Ibushi did. And then the, the culmination of the feud was actually we're going to become a tag team because we're stronger together than we are separately. Mm -hmm. um, and so they kind of stormed up the indies like that. And eventually, DDT doesn't have true heels or faces. It's comedy wrestling. So that's kind of the thing is like playing each other's comedic gimmick. And Kenny really wanted to be a heel, like a true heel. So um, there is a spot in JPW that opened up for him and they said, you're going to be this cleaner. Like, you're going to come in and clean house. And he took that extremely literally. Yes. But it like, was supposed to be like a hitman thing, I think. And it was, kind and, of. And then he brought in a broom and it was just all over. <laughs> it was off the rails. The broom and the trash cans are a delight. I love them. I love them. Don't tell you anything. I'm just saying. I don't. Yeah. I don't. I don't think that's exactly what uh, they, had in, they mind. had in mind. Probably not. <laughs> Kota Ibushi is extremely pivotal to the story of Kenny Omega. We will get there. Um, but Kenny came into NJPW with the cleaner, who is basically half of a, a hitman, basically, uh, like, a, like someone you would call to, quote unquote, clean up anything that you would need taken care of. Um, and a half a janitor. That's it. <laughs> not literally a janitor, but uh, he uses but rooms. Not literally, but then it became the thing because, like, he started bringing out the brooms and the Japanese audience didn't get that it was a pun. Mm -hmm. Which, like, to their credit, Kenny didn't exactly, like, do that work for them of connecting those things. Because... He's just, he's just Kenny Omega. I don't know what yeah. else to say. Yeah, but you also have to remember that um, the cleaner as a heel is somebody who hates Japanese wrestlers, hates the Japanese fans, doesn't want to speak Japanese because why would you? Um, and it, it's just this to very- To be clear, that's not Charlie hating on Japanese. That is the attitude that foreign heels are supposed to, to uh, supposed Correct. to predict. And uh, it, it, Kenny was always in this weird space because he lived in Japan. Um, he knows how to speak Japanese. Like, he himself wasn't a, like, he didn't feel like a, a foreigner, you know? 
regardless of what anyone wanted to say about him. So it it became it, it come becomes this weird blend of okay, this is the persona that you have, um, and then deep down inside of that, there is like there's always something more earnest. And I think that even though you can do the things that you do, and Kenny does do a lot of bad things um, as the cleaner, there is still this, like, you can still see there somewhere this, like, this, like, kind of this light trying to escape the darkness. That's the only way I can kind of explain it, which I think is one of the reasons that Kenny's so interesting. Um, I mentioned the cleaner as a demonic entity. I, I still believe that. Um, but, uh, I think that it is absolutely a possession of someone's worst traits, like, turned all the way up. And in a way, like, that's what all heels maybe try to personify, but I don't think Benny get it as right as Kenny did, did or does. Um, and we can't talk about Kenny unless you talk about the Bullet Club. But we gotta go over Okada's uh, little, little, little gimmick first. I say yeah. little, but it's actually incredible. Uh, because yeah. Oka- yeah, I, okay, yeah. I just realized, I had a realization just now that Okada just might be Shatterstar. <laughs> like, You're actually, not wrong. You're not wrong. Um, so... Like I said earlier, Okada kind of had like this journey. Um, he spent, you know, his first few years after training um, in Mexico, and then he he like he went to NWA, he went to TNA. Actually, and he actually was in Mexico before he was in the NGPW dojo. Um, Odd, like weirdly enough so he really has like a fusion of these multiple styles like can you starting in mexico going to japan to njpw into the dojo and then them sending him to tna which is like if you thought some of the stuff that we talked about with degeneration x was wild like last episode tna is like that turned up to 11 is my yeah, understanding man. He did Jersey All Pro Wrestling, like, Christ, like, not only that, but they screwed, TNA screwed him up so badly in terms of how they presented him as a talent that NJPW severed their relationship with TNA. Yeah. Because they had a relationship like, hey, we'll give you our Japanese talent, like, you can send some of your talent to Japan to train with us and be on our shows, like, which is pretty common, especially for, you know, uh, promotions where you don't want to establish another base in this other country. They screwed, they turned him into this, like, if you know anything about the Green Hornet. I saw that. I saw those pictures and I was like, excuse, excuse. Yeah. If you know anything about the American TV show, the Green Hornet, you know how orientalist and bad it is. They made him into the side. They made him like one of the preeminent like NJPW young lions into the sidekick from the Green Hornet. And NJPW was like, absolutely not. Um, you will give him back right now. 
Yeah, he was Samoa Joe's, like, second in command. Incredible. <laughs> but not really, because yeah. I'm making a face you can't see right now. God. Yeah, yeah. no, I saw, I, I saw that, and I was like, that's... Oh boy, that's certainly something. Yeah, but one thing, one thing he did learn um, from his time in TNA, um, it was beneficial because he learned he needed more than just a m- good match. He needed a character. Um, and according to Okada in Japanese pro wrestling, there's no character. It's fight, 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 which is kind of like the same. Like the, it's all about the fighting spirit. It's all about like it's very sports focused. Um, but TNA's agents told him he needed a character, so he kind of created the Rainmaker persona upon returning to NJPW. Yes. And the, rain, and the Rainmaker, uh, you are all familiar with, I suppose, the phrase, making it rain. You know, with the money and the dollar bills. Well, Okada does that. Every yeah. time he comes out. <laughs> yeah, and his his whole thing is like, he is, he is rich, he is um you know like a celebrity yeah like yeah he has like bleached blonde hair which was like not really a thing that anyone did like bleaching all of his hair like he wanted to look almost like like an idol or like a star um Mm -hmm. like not only is he like the star of njpw but he is like truly a star and he has described his persona as a combination of the three professional wrestling styles he learned. He took his drop kick from Mexico, his quote, fighting spirit from Japan, and quote, the TV and entertainment from the United States. So like <laughs> um, a fusing this pure wrestling, the like lucha libre uh moveset and the aesthetics of American Hollywood and like the nascent reality TV show thing and God. like american celebrity and making that into a wrestler yeah aka it's, shatterstar <laughs> yeah it's a lot you're not wrong like i said i, I accept that okada rules so yeah he's really cool that's that absolutely fine with me for that comparison he has dollar bills with his face on them that shower he does he the, does the ring when he enters yes he absolutely does yeah, so those are kind of, that's kind of, like, where we're coming from in regards to, like, their gimmicks. But there's also another level with this, which is... Factions. The, sta- the stables were factions in which uh, these two gentlemen Which are belong. also big in, in NJPW, at least. I don't know if they've always been big, but they're definitely a, a stable, aha, of the era that we're talking about. <laughs> yes so we talked about the cleaner we can't really talk about the cleaner without talking about the bullet club so let's talk about the bullet club let's talk about the bullet club uh, absolutely one of my like the inner workings of the bullet club is like at at best factions act like and and i'm using this as an analogy and i will let you know i've never seen one episode of game of thrones but when used when used correctly i imagine that the inner workings of factions and the factions moving against one another is very much like an episode of game of thrones yeah um and in regards to japan 
there are kind of some long-standing factions. Um, Kenny came in as a member of the Bullet Club. Uh, I played a clip at the beginning of our episode um, of Kenny joining the Bullet Club. You can kind of already see he's got his uh, theatrics dialed up uh, to 11, uh, even when he is first presented as a member of the Bullet Club. Um, And the Bullet Club primarily is where they stuck all of the foreign wrestlers. Not every single one, um, but a, a good chunk of them. If you were a heel, you were a... You were in the Bullet Club, which kind of epitomizes like the complete opposite of like that honorable fighting spirit of Japanese wrestling. Yeah. So, so, so like all of the factions in NJPW kind of started because of promotion rivalries that then they ate. So, like, the pure fighting spirit is like the main thing. And then all of these factions they establish as heel factions, and then they eventually go over and turn into face factions. Yeah, so, I mean, such is life. Such is life. Um, so, you know, the Bullet Club is supposed to be, like, they're supposed to be these evil guys um, that just do despicable things, but then eventually, like, people start liking them. Um, yeah, I mean, and that's just the problem with, that's what you, if you create a good character. Yeah, exactly. And in the Bullet Club are cool. Like they are rebellious. They don't listen to the rules. Um, they always cheat. Maybe that's not maybe that's not cool if you're the guy on the opposite side. Um, but well, and they you, they really like brought in like uh Western and like especially um attitude era like theatrics and antics through into like this ngpw lens like and they really are the bad guys in like an action movie sense Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and they have and and they have this like very distinct hierarchy yeah they cheat Um, they don't follow the rules during matches they interfere with each other like they try to bring illegal weapons into the ring you know all those things that you don't do if you're a pure wrestling sport yes exactly um and like i said like the bullet club has this like very interesting hierarchy where there's like there's a leader who is very much a a elite capital l leader like you do what he says and that's it and then from tiered down from there, there are like seconds and thirds. And you can just see this very clear, distinct hierarchy in the Bullet Club, which is always very interesting to me. They had a lot of like, if you recognize the name Finn Balor, he was the founder of the Bullet Club. Um, he created the Bullet Club and they cycled, you know, they cycle out members. And then he created the Bullet Club to kind of like consolidate power. During yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And okay, well, here's this like, here's this like little splinter faction, and then it just continues to like grow and like grow and grow and grow. 
And then suddenly it's not just like three guys, it's like five guys. And then it's like yeah. more than that. Um, well, and, and then, then like in the story, it's like the charisma of Finn Balor like caused people to want to join him because they saw how he was winning matches and like consolidating power. And it's it's very much the factions and the stables in NJPW are also very much like draw on like organized crime. Mm-hmm. As, especially like, the bullet I would say especially the bullet club. Yeah. Well, and Suzuki Goon, but they're a whole other story, so. Yeah, it's a story for another time. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, Finn Balor was the leader, the first leader of the Bullet Club. After Finn left, AJ Styles, which is a name you also probably recognize, perhaps, um, if you're listening to this podcast, then became the member of the Bullet, uh, the member, <laughs> the leader of the Bullet Club. So, like, you have these two very, like, distinct, like, wrestlers and wrestling personalities as like the first two leaders of the bullet club and then you then then there's kind of like everybody else so there's like the tag team so under aj was um carl anderson and luke gallows who were like the tag team and aj's clear seconds um and then you had other people so at that time you also had the young bucks were also members of bullet club but they weren't quite the level that uh gallows and anderson were in regards to aj and then you bring in kenny who is there they kind of have like a person they they push for like every belt that there is in the comp in in that company so you have like the the leader is usually the heavyweight that goes for the iwgp heavyweight championship you have the heavyweight tag team which is gallows and anderson you had the junior heavyweight tag teams which was oh, the yeah. young bucks because that's another thing japan uh and njpw in particular also very much cares about weight classes like mm -hmm. you're never wrestling the belts are based on weight classes the big belts you have to be a heavyweight to contend for and if you're not at that weight class then you can't get that belt or that prize yes um, which is another interesting wrinkle that's why we're talking about like junior heavyweight heavyweight you know so on and so forth like because otherwise you just don't get to have the thing so like the leader is gonna be like usually the heavyweight guy or like the person like you're gonna have at least one heavyweight like ideally in the faction that can actually prove that you can hold these big belts and like you that you have this power yes and we mentioned uh the junior heavyweight because that when kenny came into the bullet club he was at he was the junior heavyweight level and that's what he came in like yeah which i think is a cruiserweight in the united states yes and that was like oh his his function okay he's our junior heavyweight guy he's gonna get that belt for us he's gonna bring that belt back to bullet club um so you know when kenny came in that's exactly what he came there to do and that's what he did um We'll leave it. We'll put a pin in that for now because that definitely goes some places. Um, mm -hmm. But let, let's talk about chaos because I'm a little unfamiliar, but I think you know a little bit more than I do. Yeah, because I did some Googling. <laughs> <laughs> so chaos started as heels, um, but then transitioned to being the good guys basically when they when they got over um, because they would be they came fan favorite. They became fan favorites because they're homegrown or national talents like they are japanese most of them and and especially a lot of them like they're njpw's own guys that they brought up rather than them 
coming from the indies and becoming an NJPW guy. Because there's also, like, because of the New Japan dojo and all of this, like, there is a level of investment in, like, this is our guy that we made. Um, and he's been, like, a company man with us for a long time. Um, so they were founded by Shinsuke Nakamura, who broke off from... Uh, toji makabe's great bash heel faction and started out on his own um because he felt like the roots of new japan were dying um and as the king of strong style he wanted to kind of revitalize new japan pro wrestling and so that then became um you know all these other guys coming around him like he brought in kind of his second was a man named toro yano and then brought in um Hiroki Goto, Tomohiro Ishii, um, Gato, who is their, like, booker, but he also wrestled at one point, uh, Yoshihashi, which I think, um, he came from, like, another promotion, but he was still, like, uh, you know, he's still, like, a Japanese talent, and so, like, all these other guys that are, like, really into the, like, fighting spirit element, and so they actually ended up like they they're like no we need to make things stronger better faster but then they ended up getting over and becoming kind of so depending on their a lot of people describe them as like what's called a tweener which means like halfway between heel and face like they're kind of like a flex like depending on what role they need to play in the narrative they can either be the heels as like, oh, they're too aggressive compared to, like, the upstanding good Superman-style guys. Or when you pit them against Bullet Club, especially, it's like, oh, they're the pure Japanese talents. Like, they're trying to really, like, speak to the roots of the sport, whereas these nasty, like, Bullet Club boys, these dirty, rowdy boys are trying to wreck mm -hmm. house. Exactly. Um... Yeah, no, that's that's it. And and Okada belongs to Chaos because obviously he's, you know, he's at this point uh the face of New Japan Pro Wrestling. I mean, maybe maybe more especially in this role as the champion than I'd say like uh Tanahashi at that point. But no, And I was I want to correct myself. I was kind of mistaken. Uh Yoshihashi did start in NJPW, but then he went overseas um to lucha libre and so he kind of like cross-trained all right well you know the more the merrier mm -hmm. yeah so that's kind of like where like okada fits in and then so you kind of have this like this bullet club kind of i feel like as like this disease like inside mm -hmm. of njpw and it just keeps like growing and growing and growing and growing um because they're not supposed to get over but then like they do absolutely like they're not supposed to break the rules but they do they're not supposed to interfere with the refs and do all these things that are just absolutely anathema but they do and people love it people love it especially because like they're all good wrestlers and i'd say like something about njpw is like even if you are this like reprobate heel like the bullet club is i would really say that they're still allowing you to showcase your talent so you're not like you don't have your wings clipped so in say like wwe if you're a heel 
a lot of the time you're going to be a heel that is like a coward or runs away from a fight or doesn't have a proper like set of moves or you're clearly not superior not like less than the face that you're that you're going up against right like, and or if you get popular as a heel they'll start rearranging stuff so that either you your character is like like you said like you have your wings clipped or they'll start slowly making you a face because wwe really doesn't want you to cheer for the heel like or for things to not go in the way that they exactly want them to whereas njpw like will kind of twist the booking like that a little bit but ultimately like if you have the pure fighting spirit like their ethos is like whoever has the pure fighting spirit is the person that's supposed to be like the winner so if that is like the evil guy you know like maybe that'll be for a little bit but eventually things will kind of right their way um and so they're i think they're a little bit more willing to kind of let the balance be flipped for a little bit in order for it to eventually come back into yeah like, and it's never and, and it's never like like oh their best hands and it's never just that the heels win by cheating a lot of the time especially when aj was the champion he won clean and by that i mean there was maybe minimal there was interference but it it wasn't at the expense of like the fact that you knew that aj should have won the match so they let him like be himself and do the things that he can do because I mean, regardless of what you feel about AJ Styles as a wrestler and a person, uh, he's incredible. <laughs> like, there is absolutely no ifs, ands, or buts about his wrestling ability. So I think they let that shine, and when you let that shine, there's kind of no way that you don't earn the respect of the, at least some of the respect of the fans and get over that way. So, like, the way that it's just set up is a lot different and is like skewed towards okay well even if i don't like this guy i still know that he's a great wrestler um, right so there's like there's like there's no way about uh, around that well and you get less like this is not to say that the wwe style is like better or worse they're just different styles but i i tend to like the njpw style i think a little bit more because there's less of the short-term like tweaking and like weird booking stuff of like, oh, this is clearly a direction we're going to. And now we have to do a 180 because the fans aren't reacting in the way that we want them to. It's like, oh, you know, this didn't quite go the way we wanted it to. But because we're playing the long game, we can let those things like kind of fluctuate in the short term because eventually like and that's kind of the tension of the whole drawn out arc is like eventually whoever the belts end up with is going to be a good guy like either yes. because it will return to a good guy or because this bad guy is going to become good and the tension is in the rising and the falling of who has the belt and who is on top versus who is not right now mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah and that's really kind of like the driving like the driving motivation um here and as far as as far as Kenny is concerned, he comes into Bullet Club as this junior heavyweight, as this villainous cleaner, as this guy who is so clearly 
possessed of a ambition that you can see in him that is slowly eating him alive. And that's kind of the only way I can describe it. Like, Kenny as a character and as a, for lack of a better term, an actor in The Ring is this incredibly theatrical being that just oozes this kind of, like, I, I kind of don't have words for it. And I think that's a lot of what's interesting and special about Kenny is I don't have words to explain, like, the way, the things that I feel, like, sometimes when I'm watching him in the ring or otherwise. But he just has this natural thing that just grabs you um, when you watch him. And it's, it, it, it telegraphs, like, exactly what he, he's trying to do. Like, he has this ability to just, like, tell you exactly what he's feeling or show you that like this is what it is and like there's very subtle character things that happen inside the ring with him like i said you could look at him and you can tell when he's fighting like in this junior heavyweight class that he just like resents it so much and resents like everybody that he's facing because he knows he's better and there's like i said this like growing ambition that like just consumes him and I think one of the things that, that, that stood out to me as I watch, like, this junior heavyweight Kenny Omega fight is that he is just the most disrespectful son of a bitch in the ring. <laughs> <laughs> well, and two, it's, it's really fun, I think, too, knowing that some of that comes from, you know, reality. It comes from a very real place because he kind of, like, was constantly taking you know lemons and making them into lemonade like he was basically flat out broke when he was in ddt he was flat out broke for most of his time in gpw and just constantly trying to figure out like okay i was given this how do i use that as like a wedge to open the door to something else like to something bigger to showcase because i know i can do better i just have to take that opportunity that i'm given and turn it into something more and so it's like okay i got my like heel position that i really wanted to do and i thought i could do really well and how do i use that to open the door to becoming a bigger star and getting better bookings and getting paid more in njpw and it was just so happened that you know like he got the spot because um prince devitt left and so AJ became the leader of Bullet Club and he kind of became this this other guy. And then AJ Styles <laughs> was going to leave. <laughs> yes. Um, opportunities as they come. Sometimes they're just there. And I think the like the beautiful thing about this story is that it does like the cool thing that pro only pro wrestling can do, which is like weave these like weave these things that are happening in real in, in like the real world quote unquote into like the story that's been bubbling and building for a while so like kenny is this junior heavyweight guy in the bullet club um from 2014 to 2016 so he's he's like aj's right hand he's he's all these things even at the behest of maybe his better judgment in some cases but 
you can just tell that he's just become entrenched in this this whole persona of the bullet club and this whole persona of the cleaner and it is just like there um kind of like possessing him almost i talked about the <laughs> the demonic entity um and when it was time for aj styles to leave as you may know he's in wwe now he's not in new japan anymore kenny saw an opportunity to take over the reins of the bullet club coming off the end of like coming off the back of a loss of his junior heavyweight title at that year's Russell Kingdom. So this is 2016. Kenny has a match, tags with AJ against uh, Shinsuke Nakamura and Yoshihashi. And and Yoshihashi, they have a they have a tag match. Normal good tag match. AJ and Kenny win. AJ goes up to celebrate on the turnbuckle. Kenny is staring at him kind of out of the corner of his eye. And as AJ's on the turnbuckle celebrating, Kenny kind of like wanders over, pulls him off the turnbuckle onto his shoulders and gives him the one winged angel, which is Kenny Omega's finisher move. And if you think that sounds familiar, it's because it's, it's the nickname of Sephiroth from Final Fantasy VII. Yeah. So maybe one thing we didn't uh really dive into is exactly how much of a nerd Kenny Omega is. He is maybe the most nerd. Yeah. Like maybe God, the most. God bless him. Um all of his moves, almost all of his moves are from a video game. And if they're not from a video game, they're probably from an anime or manga. Yeah. Like the names for them. Um, so the one winged angel is he gets you up on his shoulders and he takes his um, I think it's his left hand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he flips someone over to drive them into the mat. Yes. But by doing it's not actually like it's called a driver. It's not actually as dangerous as that sounds because you don't land on your head. He like kind of tucks you. Um yeah. But it looks really devastating and like the tension of getting someone up on his shoulders and being like, oh, is he going to hit the one winged angel or not is always really fun. And it it's debated about on the Internet, but it might be one of the most protected finishers in all of professional wrestling oh, of yeah, any promotion. Because like, I don't know that anyone has ever kicked out of the one winged angel except for Ibushi, maybe. Yeah, I, I think Abushi kicked out of the one winged angel in DDT. Um, so I guess I think that's he's not the only NJPW person canon. Yeah, but I think he's like the only person he is. ever. He is to have kicked out of the one winged angel. It's yeah. So when Kenny hits the one winged angel, the match is over. Like that's yeah. just it. The like, match is actually over hits with. it. Yeah, um, but because it's kind of this, it takes a lot of setup. You get to have the like, is he gonna hit it? No, they escaped. You know, it turned. It's you know, the most I'm convinced it's the most dynamic like finisher in professional wrestling <laughs> because it's it's creates this immense amount of tension and then like how someone counters it or gets down or like or doesn't is kind of like a little story in and of itself. So yeah, yeah, it really yeah, is. It it's incredible. But regardless, uh, Kenny stages a coup on the Bullet Club. Uh, he and the Young Bucks, Matt and Nick Jackson. Um, so Kenny's 
friends. I mean, they are friends, but, you know, the relationship in kayfabe at this point in time maybe is slightly more dubious in regards to exactly how, quote unquote, like, close they are. Um, But they do become friends. And Kenny and the Bucks kind of take over Bullet Club. Kenny becomes the leader of Bullet Club. Matt and Nick become his right hand. And they form their own little faction in the Bullet Club called the Elite. The Elite. Elite. The the Elite. elite. Thank you. Um, The Elite's having a hard time right now, but we're talking about better days. (laughs) Um, The the chant always comes with it, so I kind of can't not. Um, I mean... It's it's maybe a whole story in and of itself to talk how, like, Kenny, Matt, and Nick Jackson turn this kind of, like, silly, weird Degeneration X parody into, like, an entire other wrestling promotion, but... Um, <laughs> yeah, sure is. I, I think just saying those words should show you, like, how popular it got. <laughs> um, yeah. like you know love hate or neutral on the bucks like that is a thing that happened so you know clearly it's working for enough people um but yeah so they kind of like and and i think that too i think that too kind of shows like how much different this bullet club looked compared to aj's because like you know, Anderson and Gallows or Machine Gun or whatever you want to call them, like, they were kind of, you know, they had an allyship, but they weren't really friends. Whereas, like, Kenny as Bullet Club leader with Matt and Nick Jackson by his side is kind of like, they're never going to turn on him. Um, You know, things are so close. They're so close knit that it really does feel like a consolidation of power in that kind of mm-hmm. like Game of Thrones machinations way that Charlie was talking about. Oh, yeah, so. ab- absolutely. And I think uh, before we go any further, I'm going to make sure that uh, everybody can listen to uh, Kenny take over the Bullet Club right here. AJ Styles, my God, you can't be surprised, can you? You people, you can't be surprised. You at home, you better not be surprised. You had this coming, AJ. We gave you the big matches. We gave you the big pay-per-views. We made you a star. We paid you like a star while I struggled, while I starved, forcing myself to be a junior. Everybody called you a leader. Everybody called you the boss. Well, AJ, if you were the boss, I'm just gonna say it. You have now been fired. This is your severance package, AJ. And from here on in, you guys know it. I am not a junior. I will not challenge Kushida. Shin Su K Nakamura. Oh, I'm coming for you. 
and I'm coming for your title because the Bullet Club, we rule the world. The elite, we rule the world because Bullet Club is except for AJ Styles. Goodbye and good night. Yeah, so that's, like I said, that's like the hierarchy thing in the Bullet Club that I think is super fascinating is because when it becomes the elite at the top of, the elite of Bullet Club, it becomes this like thing that you can't stop. <laughs> like it is, that's not an exaggeration. When Kenny declares that he is going to become a heavyweight and he takes over the leadership position of the Bullet Club, that's it. Like, Kenny like he goes... Just does, he does that. Kenny goes from 1 to 100, like, overnight, basically. Um, so, and, and, and he said lot. in, like, one of the interviews, too, um, it's the post-G1 interview, um, that he was actually like dieting and restricting himself to keep himself in junior heavyweight. Like his body wanted to get bigger, but he actually had to like keep himself held down. So that, that is like very much a, I'm sure that is a hundred percent what happened, but that was also like the sports entertainment thing of NJPW is like, you know, boxers and MMA people have that issue all the time of like, yeah, if you're constantly working out, like your body is gonna want to get bigger, but you have to hold yourself back in these ridiculous ways. Um, so before we go any further, too, I do want to talk about. I don't think we've done justice to Okada's um finisher since we talked about Kenny's. We haven't really talked about Okada. We haven't um, talked about the Rainmaker. We haven't talked about the Rainmaker. So some people might say. Why does it matter? It's just a lariat. I think that does a huge disservice to exactly like how much power and force uh Okada puts into the Rainmaker. So like it's not just a lariat or a clothesline. He is like when he hits the Rainmaker, it's like a big Mack truck hits you. Like that if, especially if someone sells it really well, like he is putting his entire heart and soul into the Rainmaker, um, which I think is why Okada is so interesting. Because like, yes, he's supposed to be this like playboy, bleach blonde hair, hair heel. Like he is something greater than a monster, and he just makes it rain money. Um, but yet at the same time, he is such this like dynamic and forceful competitor. That I think that's a really interesting, like, con, like, put those things, like, they're almost, like, con contrapositioned or, like, positioned against each other. But then they, like, work to make him feel even stronger oh, as yeah. an opponent. And, and, you know, the, the situation with Okada at this point in time is... Like, Okada finds himself, like, with the IWGP, IWGP, like, heavyweight championship, and he, like, is, is this, like, standard bearer for New Japan Pro Wrestling, and, like, at this point, like, his reign, like, like, he beats everybody. Like, it's just the way it is. Like, he mm -hmm. is the top, 
Like He took that off of AJ Styles, right? Correct. And he just, I guess, like, the best the kind of comparison I can make is, like, he just runs through the entire roster. Like, like not the entire roster, because obviously everything's, like, so dissected up into certain things. But, like, anybody that's on Okada's level, he's beat. Yeah, he's even, like, at this point, um, kind of, the big thing is at the start, like, right around the same time as Kenny is becoming the leader of the Bullet Club, Okada um, wrestles um, the person that kind of has the right, like, if you remember the money in the brief, the bank briefcase from our previous, um, our previous episode, it's, like, NJPW has a similar thing where you get the right to challenge the IWGP heavyweight champion. And so that person has um, has a briefcase and the right to challenge is Hiroshi Tanahashi, who is, you know, kind of the other ace of NJPW at the time. Um, like he has this huge history, you know, this illustrious like record. And so he challenges Okada. And at the time it was the longest main event in the Tokyo Dome. Um, and Okada kind of cemented himself as the new ace by beating Hiroshi Tanahashi, which also, if you've seen Tanahashi, the man is like, everybody talks bad about rob liefeld's art hiroshi tanahashi looks like a liefeld like drawing like he is barrel chested beyond belief but also like the nicest man in the universe I, it doesn't i don't he's get also it got really he's got really nice hair like he's got amazing hair and then like yeah. he cooks like his hobby is that he cooks and he cooks this <laughs> amazing food and he's just this you know, god of a man who cooks amazing food and has like it's he's unreal. Like this is this is a fun thing though of like and some NJPW wrestlers don't have like a quote unquote gimmick, but then when you try to explain them, you're like, these are comic book characters. Yeah, this is just this. Yeah. Exactly. It's it's so funny. I love it. Yeah, I love no, it. It's it's incredible. It's all they're all but yeah. they're all like big personalities. Yeah, so, you know, Hiroshi Tanahashi is, like, this god among men, and Okada comes out on top, you know, despite all odds. And so it's like, well, obviously he's the ace. So, like, at the point where our story proper kind of starts, you know, he on the one hand, Okada is this man that's kind of been given everything and kind of is really overbearing about it but at the same time like he has proven himself to a certain extent so is he the ace or is he you know has he just been taking the fall unclear like have his opponents just been taking the fall and you know to push maybe, him to the top yeah maybe. exactly uh, and you know maybe maybe just maybe if that was the case, you get away with it if, you know, 
there wasn't somebody uh coming directly for you <laughs> um so speaking of so in 20 so Kenny Omega just has an amazing 2016 absolutely like i cannot like, it, it is a understatement of yeah. the highest degree Kenny Omega like 2016 is the year of Kenny Omega and NJPW like despite Okada being the standard bearer and kind of you know doing his thing defending his title Kenny Omega gets like every other accolade that is possible to get just like match after match after match is just like you know just incredible to the point where you know he becomes the best bout machine um that's not just like a gimmick like he lives the gimmick it came about because his matches were <laughs> rated like match of the year um like multiple match of the years i think he got in 2016 mm -hmm. um his twitter profile says match of the year factory on it yeah uh, yes. and that's you know that's not to some extent that is like the hubris of a heel but it's also not like it wouldn't be fun it's if it wasn't wrong. at least a little bit rooted in reality right correct it's not it's not really wrong um so kenny just gets this unbelievable like like everything falls into place for him like he's got his like he's got his best friends they are with him at the top of the bullet club he's having these incredible matches and he goes into the tournament that they hold every summer in new japan called the g1 um you're very good at explaining things because you research quite a bit mikey would you like to explain what the g1 tournament is all about so the G1 tournament is, I alluded to it earlier um, by saying, like, they have, there's like a briefcase thing. So the G1 tournament takes place over the period of about a month. You go all across Japan to have these different rankings. And there's two blocks. There's like A block and B block. And at the end, I think the winner of A block and the winner of B block fight and the person who comes out on top of that not only gets the G1 trophy, but also gets the briefcase and the contract to challenge the IWGP heavyweight champion. Yes, you get the main event at Wrestle Kingdom, which is every, every January in Japan, the Tokyo Dome is Wrestle Kingdom, which is basically New Japan's WrestleMania, basically. But like, feels more important let me just yeah. say that <laughs> i did not until watching a match at the tokyo dome for Russell, like until watching the beginning because the cool thing about new japan too is like the beginning of every event they just show like the crowd and the setup before everything is like officially started the fact that they can have like an honest to god blimp just flying around the tokyo dome inside the dome like mm -hmm. made me realize just the massive scale of that arena i did not realize how big it was until watching the very beginning of the wrestle kingdom like all match video and i was like holy shit like there's an actual like goodyear ass blimp just flying around in here like it's nothing mm -hmm. it is huge it's really big 
Um, like I don't I don't know that there's like a comparable like stadium. In I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm absolutely not sure about that. Like Lucas Oil is big, but I don't think it's that big. I I'm not but sure. I, I digress. Saw, I saw I saw a football game yesterday. It was like it took place inside like the one of the Houston like the Houston Stadium. It seemed pretty big. It had a huge glass like a huge glass like open like roof thing. I don't know, but I don't know if anything. We digress. Apparently, you have to take like a, you have to take golf carts to get around the Tokyo Dome. I believe um, it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Tokyo Dome is twelve acres, which. Uh, is is pretty big, at least to me. Yeah, um, there are bigger big. arenas in Japan, apparently. Oh, but I don't know if they're used for wrestling. Well, I mean, probably not. Um, but anyway, <laughs> you get if you win the G one, you get the main event at Wrestle Kingdom, and you challenge you get to challenge the champion. The interesting thing about the G1 and winning it and getting that briefcase is that people can challenge you for that briefcase after you win it. Mm-hmm. So it's not a guarantee that you get to keep it. Uh, very, 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 like, rarely does someone win the Money in the Bank briefcase, for like, for example, and then, like, like take it away from them, like, in some sort of plot. But I really like the idea that you won this. And it's very, it's a very Japanese like wrestling conceit, in my opinion. Like you can work so hard and win this shot, but you still have to, like you still have to fight to keep it. Mm-hmm. Like it is like okay, you got this, but now you have to let us. You have to remind us about why you earned it. Like it's just like so by default, like everybody who wins Which something is-, is like a. They're like every champion basically becomes a fighting champion because they have to be. <laughs> yeah, which is ridiculous when you think about like what the G1 already is. Ooh, it's yeah. already like a grueling series of events to come out. Like not only do you have to win out your block, but you also have to beat the person from the other block to even get the ability to have this briefcase. Mm-hmm. Ooh, I hit my mic because <laughs> I was so excited. So excited. Um, you like. And then once you get the briefcase, you have to you are contractually obligated to defend it. It's just like wild to me. Oh yeah, it's in the G one's happening right now. It's a little delayed. It's been a little delayed because we live in a bad time. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, right now, the G one is happening, and it is, it is exciting. It is grueling, and in twenty sixteen, Kenny Omega becomes the first foreign wrestler to ever win the G one tournament. Ever. That is still the rec- that is still true. Ever. Yeah, so just as a quick digression that may or may not make it into the pod, um, just because I feel like I need to say it. So capacity wise, the Tokyo Dem is not that big, but I can't find the acreage measurement for any other stadium. <laughs> so um because like it only holds like 40,000 people. Um that's still a lot of people. Yeah. It's it's up to 55,000 for events. Um that doesn't make it on like the largest 
stadiums. Um, like Ohio Stadium, the shoe is much bigger than that, like double as big capacity wise. But it, I don't, that's a huge ass bubble. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, anyway, the Tokyo Dome, it is large. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I kind of lost uh lost the train on that digression. Um clearly, I think Kenny being the only foreigner to win the G1 is important and you should talk about it. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what else there is to say. Like it's it's very true. Like it was I don't think a lot of people <laughs> thought he could do it. No. Like absolutely I not. Really I think don't. that's what's I think that's really what's what stands out to me about it is that they give him this, like, privilege, which is... Well, I think it speaks to the degree of, like, how popular, like, he made himself just on his own merit. Because, again, like, you don't really get, you know, a gimmick in NJPW. Like, they kind of gave him, like, oh, you know, we want you to kind of be this kind of role, and then he just ran with it. And kind of got over, like, again, he took, you know, the tiniest little fragment that someone gave him and just ran with it. Mm-hmm. Sorry, and I like, got distracted by looking at largest, the world's Tokyo, largest stadium. Tokyo Dome facts. I needed to um, know how big it was in comparison to the horseshoe, okay? Of course, of course. Um, yeah, no, and I think that it's this tremendous, like, thing that happened, and, like, I, I, I think it's really cool that Kenny's the only person like that that's won the, won the G1. I remember him, uh, now when I go back and look at it, I think I see it through a little bit of a different lens, but I remember when Mox did really good in the G1 in 2019, and, like as part of their feud in AEW, Kenny cuts this pro to the camera and he says, "How did that tournament in Japan go for you? Did you win? I did. I did the first time I tried." Yeah. <laughs> Gosh. <laughs> Which is just funny because that's incredible. So much the um the kind of smugness that Kenny has when he's truly truly being the person that he is um yes so so yeah so he wins um he defeats uh hiroko goto to become in in the final match to become the um g1 climax winner and to get the briefcase um so traditionally and again and jpw is all about tradition the winner of the G1 gets handed the trophy and then is handed the flag of the G1 and waves it to kind of say, hey, it's over. Kenny refuses. He gets handed the trophy. He bows, is very respectful. They go to hand him the flag for the G1. Not only does he refuse to wave it, he throws it on the ground, grabs the bullet club flag that one of his lackeys tosses him, and waves that instead. Mm-hmm. It's an incredible moment. It's incredible. Um, and so not only, and not only 
does he do this? So remember how I said at the beginning, um, in NJPW, the winner of the event gets to cut a promo. Not only does he cut this amazing promo and shouts out, uh, you know, says even the guys down in Orlando are watching. Like I put on a clinic of how of how that you can go back and watch when the next Kenny Omega like comes into town, but that's not going to happen. Um, you know, he says without the elite, wrestling is boring. Just mm-hmm. this absolute smug, like there's no one like me promo. And then he says. You know, kind of that kind of winds down. And then he says, oh, Kata. <laughs> and the crowd just goes wild. And he gives a fluent promo in, ja- in fluent Japanese. Because he's never wrestled Okada before. And Okada doesn't understand English. It is oh. legitimately amazing. Just so spine tingling. Um, you know, he's like, you can, you know, you can love me, you can hate me. I'm going to keep refusing to speak English or refusing to speak Japanese and speaking only in English. I'm going to keep hate hating the wrestlers that you love. Um, you know, people like you want to live your dreams. I'll come and snatch them away. And, you know. Like, Okada, I'm coming for you. It is so good. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's really, really good. I love, I love that. But I love the thing that happens in the press conference afterward. I just an eensy bit more. So I'm going to put that right here. So, was it tough to become a legend? Yeah. But I had to eat a man's heart. I had to break a man's spirit, and I had to crush him on live television in front of 10,000 people and hundreds of thousands worldwide. Ooh, you better believe that felt good. (laughs) Next. Uh, Yeah, so uh, that happens. Ah, jeez. Just, he's so impatient. (laughs) Knowing the context that Kenny, like, basically got no sleep. He'd laid in... Um, uh, the what is it, Gorokuken Hall? For like, I'm probably saying that wrong because I don't have it in my notes, so I'm sorry. Um, I'm just trying to remember what the venue was. He laid in the hall for three hours after the fun, the final of the G1, and then he had to, he got back at like four in the morning, and then he had to give his promo. Before he had to get on a car, do another interview, and fly home to Canada. Um, so he just absolutely is like rolls up with this cannot give a fuck attitude. <laughs> He's super impatient for the president to come out. And then he finds out he has to defend his number one contendership. But he's okay with that as long as he gets to choose his opponent. He says, I'm your go-to foreigner. That's what I am. Um, and he picks Yoshihashi, not because the man sells tickets, Kenny Omega does that, but because Yoshihashi embarrassed him before by beating him. Um, he calls himself Shin Nihon's Shawn Michaels, but he doesn't know, he refuses to acknowledge the mere presence 
of a man named Kota Ibushi refuses to acknowledge that he hit his finisher, which is a running knee strike, um, throughout the course of the G1. Um, is this the one? Says, is this is this where he says that he, of course, he would choose the knee strike as a finisher because he has the best knees in all of wrestling? Is no, <laughs> okay, that's okay. another one. Okay. That's another one. He does that like at a post match, not at a press conference. Okay. Um, no, he says, I'm here to become a legend. Too many things I did for the fans. Where did it get me? And then he says he isn't going to do something the fans like just to get cheers. And if someone likes him, despite him not giving a shit about wrestling or the fans, be my guest. I think he's maybe projecting a little bit there. He clearly <laughs> gives a shit, but. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He definitely is like extremely tired and done with everything. Um. It, it 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 just cannot be overstated. There's this presence about Kenny Omega when he's like being extremely extra that like I don't know really, anybody else that can do it. Yeah, well, and you kind of do have to wonder like where the line is. Yeah. Um. So as I said, like shortly after the G1, he also gives uh this interview where he's in a car. Uh, 36 hours after the G1 win is when it is. So it's not right after, but 36 hours, that's not a lot of time. He says sleeping and walking is difficult, but it's worth it to be the G1 winner. I had a mission. This is a quote. I had a mission, and the mission was to become a legend. People think that I'm the greatest wrestler, and now they think I'm a god. The strange new Kenny, I don't recognize him. Um, he's also claims that even though he was alone, uh, during the G1, that's okay. Uh, he doesn't need the Young Bucks by his side. Um, he's just being mean and sipping his iced coffee in this black car, you know, yes. as you yes. do. Like you do. Yeah, he's just, like, it's so funny to me that people are like, oh, this Kenny Omega, he's this, he's this guy, and I'm like, I don't know if you know who Kenny Omega is, but he's not that guy. Um, and I think I think all of this like really does like when you see Kenny with a fire lit under him like this, like it is it is this next level thing. And I think that's why it lends like why Kenny out of like anybody else when people are like, Oh, that's not that's not the Kenny Omega. Like that's not the version we want. Like, when it's anything other than this, which is, sometimes you look at it and you're like, is that really a healthy way to be? The answer is probably no. Um, and people are like, well, I want that one. And I'm like, let the man have his mental health. Please stop. <laughs> um, but, you know, back here, I mean, this is what Kenny was all of the time. Yeah. And it's... It, it's just got this thing that, like, you can't really describe. Yeah. Um, uh, Kenny might call it a je ne sais quoi. Fuck off. He does say <laughs> that at one point. Of course. Of course. Um, fuck right off. Um, and, you know, he had, does this incredible thing. He He does this thing that no one else ever really has before, like, in his same position. 
and he's still gotta go through the gauntlet to continue forward to Okada. Like, and they play a bit of a cat and mouse game as they go forward towards the Tokyo Dome. Yep. Um, cause Okada doesn't have that many big matches between, um, you know, the time that Kenny wins the G1 and Wrestle Kingdom. He doesn't have a lot of huge matches. Um, but, you know, Kenny does defeat Yoshihashi pretty handily. Um, it's a good match. Um, but I think my my favorite of the match is when he defends the number one contendership against uh, for the second time against Hiroko or Hiroki Goto. That is an incredible match. I would actually mm-hmm. like if mm-hmm. you can watch that. I would recommend. There's like seven near falls in that. I think it's it like it just keeps going and going and going. It's incredible. Like um, and that's who he won for the the G one also. Like they just really put on good matches together. Um, and at the same time, so that's October tenth, twenty sixteen. Um. At the same time, Okada defeats the ace of pro wrestling, Noah. Pro wrestling Noah being another Japanese promotion. Um, now Michi Marafuji, um, t- who was challenging him for the belt. So, like, Okada is kind of defeating these other aces to prove that he is, like, the IJ- IWGP heavyweight champion that deserves to have the belt. Um, mm-hmm. So, afterwards, because he won, uh, he and his like wingman, the Booker Gato, um, who's also part of Chaos, um, get up and do a promo. And Gato calls out Kenny Omega about the G1. And he knows that Kenny knows Japanese and understands what he's saying. Um, and he's basically like, you're not going to, it is whatever you think is going to happen isn't going to happen. So Kenny comes out to the ring with a smirk. Oh man, it sure is. And I'm just gonna I'm just gonna uh I think we should just play what Kenny says sure. there. Okada When I look at you, you make me sick. Everything you have was given to you, given to you by this company, given to you by him. But that's not to say you haven't been a good champion. You've been the best. You've protected this company. You have protected Japanese wrestling. You are the symbol of New Japan. So Okada. Through my hard work, I've taken everything up until this point. I have taken the main event of Tokyo Dome, and I'm going to take everything that you treasure. At the Tokyo Dome, Okada, and I know that you understand, I'm going to win, and I'm going to treat you like a little bitch the way they did in America. Whoa. So that's what Kenny said. And then afterwards, Okada takes the match, the mic, and talks about Naito and Kenny's match. And Okada's defeated everyone 
you know, that's been thrown at him. Kenny Omega's not going to be any different. And they'll see each other at the Tokyo Dome. And they stare into each other's eyes as the crowd starts to cheer. And Kenny leaves the ring um, with Okada kind of like looking on. And Kenny says, it's only a matter of time as he kind of steps out. Like he's, every time he's in front of the camera, he's going to be saying some words. You can't always yeah. hear out what he's saying, but um, they're always, you know, it's always yeah, Kenny's good. Kenny's always talking as he's coming to and leaving the ring. Um, yeah. And it's always very much worth, like, trying to tune in to what he's saying because he's always just running his mouth. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's... Uh, the thing about all of this is, like, you can... It's so funny because... What like the funniest thing about watching Kenny like during this point in time and like how obviously as we continue forward is that when he's in front of an audience and I think it may have even like started even more um after he cut that promo in Japanese is like you can hear all the you can hear all the ladies like say Kenny's name like in the yeah. crowd <laughs> it cracks yeah. me up every time <laughs> and like the funniest thing is like for a lot of these things like when they cheer for like when kenny and okada are on like are in the ring at the same time it becomes this cacophony to where you literally can't cheer tell if the audience is cheering okada or omega mm -hmm. which is amazing to me <laughs> like it's it's just like such incredible energy um so then, you know, there's there's more like right before like excuse me, like literally the last match event before Wrestle Kingdom 11 um is the Road to Tokyo Dome at Tokyo Korakuen Hall. Um and so they have a trios match. They have actually two matches where where they're kind of like in the ring with each other. The sixth match and the seventh match. So Kenny's teammate wins the trios tag match and he does the bang at Okada and he's like laying outside the ring while Okada's like grabbing for a belt for his belt like beside him and and then Kenny like hands one of the young lions the like trainee wrestlers a cold compress for Okada's neck and Okada like shoves it away um and like looks directly into Kenny's eyes and Kenny does another bang um like where he like pretends like he's firing a gun and then he steps out and just kind of like does like a uh, wild eyes and he goes it's time I'm feeling good my body's where it needs to be I'm finally <laughs> ready and like he steps out then and then so the seventh match it's Okada and Yoshihashi Versus Kenny and Bad Luck Fale, who's one of the, like, second-in-commands. And Kenny comes out then. I don't think he had it in the sixth match, but in the seventh match, he comes out with the gray and white hair that's, like, before this, it was kind of like a dirty blonde, like, half-and-half half bleached. Like, he bleached, like, the top, but not the bottom. And this time, he comes out with, like, this monochrome hair. Like, it's, like, a blackish um, gray on the bottom and white hair. Where, like, if you look up the cleaner, I think that's kind of the most yeah. infamous mm -hmm. cleaner look. Right, Charlie? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm with sorry, I'm talking the, a lot. With the hair extensions? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I, I, listen, I, this, is, this is absolutely 
one of your wheelhouses. And most of the time when I'm just like, yeah, this happened and this happened and this happened when I'm talking about other stories. So I'm letting you talk. It's fine. I'm enjoying myself. (laughs) So Kenny comes out and he's really like fully in best bout machine mode. And Okada's intro starts like the intro music. Kenny starts talking through it. Like (laughs) he is being like, I got this. Like, is it, you know, nobody's going to beat me. Like, through the beginning of the Rainmaker intro, which is just like, you don't do that. <laughs> um, and so this is the point at which it's impossible to tell if people are cheering for, like, are cheering Omega or Okada. And Kenny wins with the one-winged angel against Yoshihashi. And not only that, but he gives a Christmas present to Okada, which is... Okada comes out and, like, tries to, like, get his man, and, but the Bullet Club isn't having any of that, and he says, you know, Kenny says, since it's Christmas, I think you get a present, and they pull out a table, put that by ringside, and put Okada through it with the one-winged angel, and Mm -hmm. then Kenny and the Bullet Club stand out and say, it will not rain, and Kenny sings, let it snow, let it snow, let it snow, as, like, fake snow falls from uh, the top of the venue. And let and... me be clear. Let me, let, let me be really clear about this. There is a thing that happens at this, at this moment in time where the snow is, like, falling down in the ring. And Kenny looks at it. After he's gone on this unhinged rant and also put Okada through a table, he sees this snow and for a half a second, he looks like a different person. Like he looks like he remembers what it's like to be a human being. And like not for half a look. second and then his eyes go wide again and he yeah. like. It is, it is like equal parts like incredible and like extremely unsettling jared leto could never could never absolutely never like it's this is a really hard promo to find because for some reason it's taken out of the njpw like like on the event website like on the event recording they don't have it but if you can find it i'm not gonna tell you where to get it if you can find it (laughs) it is very much worth watching it's I don't know why NJPW decided that they're going to cut the promos because it's not just Kenny's promos. It's there's a couple other promos. I I guess like it's not as big of a deal or they think it, like it's not as big of a deal to rewatch the promos because it's those are the hardest things to find. I think but, that's <laughs> kind of just like obviously what they prioritize. So yeah, I mean, it's just so weird to me. Like we did the work I, to you. We don't have to. Yeah. Yeah. We'll talk about it. Um, yeah. you know, Ab- my DM, absolutely. if you really want to find it, my DMs are open. I'm not saying nothing. <laughs> Becky won't, won't, uh, won't tattle on you. Um, no. but yeah, so that is really the lead up to this, um, Wrestle Kingdom 11 at the Tokyo Dome. And this match deserves its time to talk about the match. So... I the think... match and then the aftermath is a lot. And we've already spent almost two hours talking about 
the history yeah. and the lead up. So I think that's where we're gonna we're and and kids, we're not even halfway done. Um no. so I think we're gonna leave it here for now on the image of snow falling on top of Kenny Omega and him realizing what it's like to be a human being and not um I don't know what I don't really know what to refer to it as a monster, a monster, but he yeah. likes it. <laughs> but he literally asshole. said that. He I literally know. said that. And I'm calling the him an strange new for it. Kenny. I don't recognize him, but I like it. And I'm calling him an asshole for saying that because it is. I should just cut that out and make it like my text ringtone. But anyway, we had questions. Get some questions. <laughs> Mikey's in his own cleaner mode now, so I'm in trouble, so I better get the questions up. I okay. always am. I get to I know. play. I'm not a bad person, but sometimes I get to play one in a role-playing game. It's true. You know, as the GM. Uh, it's true. Uh, okay, so we did get some questions. Um, we'll save a couple for the rest of our series because some of them are more pertinent to later on down the road. Um, so I will ask this one as soon as I can get the, as soon as I can, <laughs> at Leviathan Files asks, uh, what is your opinions, what is your opinion or opinions on what makes Kenny Omega such a dweeb or lovable dweeb? You know, good question. Yeah. It's thank you, Taylor, for the excellent question. Um, Taylor, uh, does his own podcast. Um. He is at Leviathan Files on Twitter. You should definitely go follow him. Um, gosh, I think it's like that he's so earnest about everything, whether yeah. that's his love of video games and like old style like manga or it's his love of becoming a monster and taking over Bullet Club. Like, he just puts his all into everything. And sometimes mm -hmm. that makes you a little dweebish. Yeah, I, I, think, I think sometimes, and I'm not saying that Kenny's not a dweeb, because I think he is. But I think sometimes people's passion for whatever they're doing, whatever that is, um... If it's wrestling, if it's games, if it's comics, if it's tabletop, whatever it is, when you have this like unbelievable like passion for it, I think sometimes people can't view that in a recognizable way that they can understand end up putting it in a box and being like, yeah, that you're just a nerd or a dweeb, right? That's I mean, that's the oldest thing ever. Um Yeah. So I think that's a big part of it. Um, like I said, do I think Kenny is a dweeb? Absolutely. Um, it, it, but it is mostly due to his extreme passion for what he does. And I think it's very commendable. Yeah, it's like when someone clearly is just going for something 110%. Like, but they still do things that are kind of ridiculous sometimes. Mm -hmm. Like, that is, you know, when you get to mock them for their dweebishness the most. It's like, you know, a lot of people will be like, Kenneth, and your pants are bad. Yeah. Um, And, you know, we don't 
say that because we dislike him, but it's because, like, A, his pants are bad, and B, like, he does his gear and his entrance, like, based off, like, a, you know, a, all of the things that he loves from, like, the 80s and 90s, like, distilled. <laughs> and it's, like, it's just a level of earnestness that, like... You don't see a lot. Yeah, and you can't help but, like, kind of be like, this is, okay, you're, this is just ridiculous. Like, I love you. But yeah, also, I love you. Please, like, sir. Like, whenever like, I he's, say that. He's so extra. Yeah, whenever I say that, it is with 110% of my affection. I'm never saying that, like, in any way that's derogatory. I'm always just like, honey, wear your better pants. Or, like, these are bad pants. Let's throw them in the garbage. Um, yeah. Because well, I want, I always want Kenny to be his best self. It's also game recognized game, right? Because like, yeah. at the same time, like I recognize that I am also extremely into certain things, and like I am very much like a nerd, not in the sense of like, oh, I want to identify as a hashtag nerd, but just like I live on the internet, I'm podcasting about wrestling, like you know, clearly I care about things myself so it's like mikey, mikey is my kenny omega i fully <laughs> believe that you and kenny omega embodied this some of the same qualities <laughs> well thank you i'm very flattered but it's like <laughs> it's like you don't feel quite so silly um you know being the way that you are when you see that kenneth and omega is out there like a whole ass evp of a company and you know, one of the best, if not, you know, best and most famous wrestlers in the world. And then he's out there also, like, just playing, you know, Call of Duty Warzone for the hell of it and doing ads for Street Fighter and just, like, like, it's, there is something really nice about being able to say, like, you know, Seeing someone put like a hundred and ten percent into the things that they love, mm-hmm. and being validated by that, but also like someone's clearly doing something for comedy, so you can also kind of laugh at it, not in a mean way. But I feel like when we laugh at Kenny and call I'm him a lovable, with Kenny. I'm not yeah, laughing at when Kenny. we call him a lovable dweeb, like we're not laughing at him, we're laughing with him. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, exactly. that was a very no. It's, imp- to answer, it's important but- because I think we we learn a lot about things when we dissect why we view things the way we do well, I, I think that's part of why like he's clearly a heel but that's why everyone <laughs> fell in love with him because that yeah. is like the thing that he you know you can identify does. with it like if you yeah like if i had the blind ambition to like go towards my goals and and just do that i, I totally would like it's some of it's admirable being like some of it's admirable other other parts of it are reprehensible. Other parts are clearly like you're suffering from depression. Please get some help. And you know, but that's <laughs> what being human is, right? Like it, exactly, exactly. Like there is a lot going on there. It's not black and white. It's a lot of different things. Um, Kenny Omega contains multitudes. He does. He does, and I love him for it. Um, I've got one more question because I think this one is uh, a funny one to um leave off on. Um, so at Dark Lavender Void asks, What is with Kenny and that broom? I wish I knew. 
I, I wish, wish I knew. I, I mean, we I kind knew. of tried to explain it, but it still doesn't really explain why a broom. I can't imagine. I don't know how popular brooms of that style are where <laughs> Kenny is, but like, I just, it wasn't a push broom. It no. wasn't like a Swiffer. No. It wasn't a brush broom. Like, it wasn't a bristle broom. Like, in, like weird... a wide head. It's like a straw broom, like the prototypical emoji. When you type the broom emoji, that is the kind of broom that you get. And that is the kind of broom that he carried. He found the most prototypical, like, the dif dic dictionary definition of a broom broom and brought that out on a whole ass stage. Why did you do that? The world will never know. Yeah. I mean, but at the same time, it transcends language. It's not like, oh, what is that thing that he brought out? I don't know what that is. It's clearly a broom that transcends yeah. language and cultural definitions. It is a broom ass broom. This is a this is a broom, and this is what it is exactly. Um, yeah, I don't know why I have such an affinity for it. Um, if I could ask Kenny a question, I think I might ask him about the broom. Like, but, where you did know. you get this? Or no, why like, did why, you get why this? Did you, why did you do it like this? Like, is this like, a, yeah, I guess I think that's what I'd, I'd ask. Or one of the questions I'd ask. But we've gone on a long journey this evening. <laughs> or whenever you're listening to this. Um, for me, it's evening. For Mikey, it's evening. So we're going to call it evening. But thank you for listening. And uh, this is part one of three. So, um, if you're, uh, so inclined and you enjoyed this episode, please, 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 please go over to iTunes and give us a five-star rating and give us a review. Tell your friends about the podcast. If you like listening to it and you want other people to listen to a cool podcast about wrestling stories, um, that would be the best thing that you could do for us. Uh, if you don't have iTunes or listen on another platform, if there is an ability to leave a review or a rating, please do that. It helps get our podcast in front of other people's eyes who may not have seen it previously. Um, you can find us at Match Club Pod on Twitter. Um, you can find our podcast there and on our website, superkick.party. I fear that in the darkness of... 2020 <laughs> as someone said to me on another discord kenny omega has rabbit ears and he knows where everyone is talking about him online i fear um but you know what we're safe because the young bucks aren't on twitter so as long as we don't post our episodes on instagram we're fine that's true but i fear in the darkness of 2020 and um the recent um the recent happenings um in the elite that the the bucks will at some point come for superkick.party so <laughs> please go and find um our web you can find us at our website there i wrote an article pretty recently about the elite and uh the goings on in aw at the moment um i'm very proud of that uh so you can find that there as well you can find me personally at Genetic Ghost on Twitter, where I'm existing. Um, that's all I do there. I exist. Um, I also have other work that I do um, about comics. Um, so we talk about comics and wrestling, basically. 
um, over there. How about you? You can find me vibing at this Kenny Omega broom entrance compilation on YouTube. <laughs> um, no, but for real. <laughs> you can also find Mikey vibing with the Kenny Omega broom entrance on YouTube, but for realsies. Uh, for real, you can find me on Twitter at quantum dot dot, where I post everything that I'm doing or retweet it, including the work that I will be doing, will continue to be doing. Um, now that my day job has settled down a little bit, hopefully, knock on wood, um, mm -hmm. at C at CBR, I've been writing some things for them, um, about games. So, yeah. Um, and then, you know, I continue to do things. If you have a couple dollars and don't have an iTunes account, um, you might want to head over to, if it's still live, savepoint.stream. Um, just got did a big charity marathon for me over the past weekend, um, raised a lot of money for national bailout, which is the cause that's super important. Um, helping, um, black people who are incarcerated, um, get their bail, help bring down the prison industrial complex. So, you know, that would be my thing to shout out and support their cause. That would be great. Yeah. Absolutely. They matter. Yeah. Mikey that does matters. great work. That matters. Yeah. Mikey does great work. Uh, I do silly work. Um, you also do great work. Shut up. <laughs> oh, no. I'm being attacked again. Um, this is anyway. the Monday energy you get from us <laughs> recording on a Monday evening. Oh, no. Uh, it's happened. Um, any anyway. Attacked. Uh, yes. Thank, attacked yes. with love. Oh, dear. Um anyway uh so you don't have to hear our our gushy couple stuff uh that's the end of the episode so thank you very much uh stay happy stay healthy and we very much bid you adieu so goodbye and good night bang